every year on this date, we read the story that the church has read for 2,000 years. It's from Acts chapter 2. I, I hope you'll find a Bible that's in your pew rack or one you brought with you or one that's on your device. From Acts chapter 2, we read about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Listen for the word of the Lord. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them the ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living there in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one had heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear, each of us, in our own native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others laughed at them and said, they're just filled with new wine. But Peter, standing there with the eleven, he raised his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let it be known and listen to what I say. These are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this, this is what was spoken from the prophet Joel when he said, in the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my servants, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. But then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Nicky Gumbel, founder of the Alpha Course, tells a story about a man named Jacob who was 92 years old and Rebecca, who was 89 years old. They settled in Florida and later in life decided that they would get married. So they took a walk one afternoon down Main Street and they came upon a drugstore. Jacob said, well, let's just go in here. I, I have some questions. So Jacob goes in and asks the man behind the counter, are you the owner of this store? The pharmacist says, yes, sir, I am. Well, Jacob says, we're about to get married. Do you, do you sell heart medication here? Yes, we do, of course. What about medicine for circulation? Well, all kinds. 
actually. What about medicine for rheumatism and scoliosis? Definitely, said the pharmacist. Well, how about those nasal breathing strips and those special socks? Of course we do, Jacob. Well, how about medicine for memory issues and arthritis and, and jaundice and sleeping pills and vitamins and Geritol? We have it all, it's right here. Okay, well, what about wheelchairs and walkers? All shapes, sizes, and speeds. Perfect, says Jacob. We'd like to use this store as our bridal registry. <laughs> oh, I pray we are never too old or too settled to laugh at a bad preacher joke. <laughs> C.S. Lewis said something along these lines. He said, you're never too old to set another goal or to dream another dream. I'm here to tell you, friends, at 191 and a half years old, we're still setting goals and dreaming dreams. The great 50-day challenge has been evidence that we are an Easter people, and the results prove that we are Pentecostal in the truest sense. Pente, it means 50. Today is Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, but 2,000 years since those disciples gathered on the southern steps in Israel and, and the power of the Holy Spirit came down like tongues of fire and a mighty rushing wind. Today is the day we think about the threefold nature of God. We've known about God the Father, the Creator, who put all things into motion. And Jesus Christ, His, His only Son, who walked among us for about 33 years, but now we think about the Holy Spirit who was sent to sustain the church for the work in the world. And, and let's be honest, we understand creation because we see it and we live in it. We understand Jesus Christ because in religious and non-religious writings, we, we have proof, we have eyewitness accounts in our own scripture that Jesus was a person. But this Holy Spirit, oh, it's different, a little bit confounding. Who or what or how is the Holy Spirit? How do you describe the Holy Spirit to someone else? We confess it every week. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Catholic Church. How do you describe the Holy Spirit to someone? When I teach uh, this lesson in various settings to classes or to compromands, I like to talk about the Spirit as, as wind and, and waves. Wind is, is air until it is set in motion. Waves are, are water until they come crashing down and bring in the tide. They are gentle forces or mighty forces. The Holy Spirit works that way too. I also like to think about the Holy Spirit and electricity. Electricity powers our appliances. Thanks be to God. We have air conditioning this time of year, right? Yes. We don't really think about electricity as constantly moving until it's not. Do we think about the constant moving presence of God through the Holy Spirit in our lives? But the actual word that's used in the Greek that I like to teach is pneuma. You might hear pneuma, you think about pneumatic tools. We've heard a lot of pneumatic tools in our campus over the past six or seven months. Or you might think about pneumonia, it's the same word, it's a respiratory issue. The Spirit of God is, is called pneuma, 
because it is the very basic element of life, like air in our lungs. The Holy Spirit fell afresh on the first disciples on that day of Pentecost, and it caused them to breathe differently. You might even say it, it took their breath away. I like to think that they began inhaling faith and exhaling fear. Inhaling peace and exhaling pride. Inhaling joy and exhaling jealousy. Inhaling love and exhaling lusts. Inhaling assurance and exhaling angst. Inhaling courage and exhaling complacency. Or inhaling generosity and exhaling greed. The Spirit of God was like a dance of inhaling and exhaling. Spiritual respiration is what the day of Pentecost is about for me. What do we need to exhale, friends, in order to inhale the life-giving breath of God? You know, Paul talks about this in his letters to the churches in the region called Galatia. He does this point-counterpoint. He talks about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And what he says is, the world will know that the Spirit is real, kind of like wind and wave and electricity, that by the fruit that the church bears. And the fruit of the Spirit, you know them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. There's a great VBS song that goes with that. I can't wait to sing it in a few weeks. I think that means that when we have questions about who or what or how the Spirit is, the answer is found in the fruit that we all bear when we love what and who God loves, when we convey joy even amid life's great disappointments, that's evidence of the Spirit. When there's peace, no matter how chaotic life gets, it's proof of the Spirit at work in the world. And, and this is a tough one, but when there's patience, even when we're at our wit's end, that's not Jay, that's the Holy Spirit. That's evidence of God's presence among us. I think one of the operative words from today's reading is that the 11 disciples were filled. Did you hear that? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Not like topped off, like my sweet tea or like my gas tank. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. One way I interpret that is they must have been emptied or had to empty themselves out by what Paul would call the works of the flesh. If we want to see the fruit of the Spirit, if we want to inhale the life-giving breath of God, we have to empty some things out and to exhale some things out. So I love how Eugene Peterson describes uh, the works of the flesh that Paul uh, uses. He says, uh, avoid repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or to be loved. Divided homes and divided lives. Avoid small-minded and lopsided pursuits. Listen to this one. Avoid the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival. Avoid uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions. Ugly parodies of com a community. And I could go on. 
If we are to exhale the CO2 of the soul and to empty out the garbage we carry around in this world, we will become spirit-filled. We will receive power from on high. We will receive the authority of God. We will receive power and boldness to launch the next Pentecost movement. I believe that. I love what A.J. Gordon says. Before Pentecost, the disciples found it hard to do easy things. After Pentecost, the disciples found it easy to do hard things. I want to believe Mr. Gordon, but I swear it seems like every week there are more and more hard things to do and hard things to say. And one must pause, myself included, as your pastor, to breathe to breathe in the breath of God, the pneuma, the spirit of God to find purpose and meaning and focus. William Blake, the poet, penned these words. He said, unless the eye catch fire, God will not be seen. Unless the ear catch fire, God will not be heard. Unless the tongue catch fire, God will not be named. Unless the heart catch fire, God will not be loved. Unless the mind catch fire, God will will not be known. We need to empty ourselves in order to be filled with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, to be comforted, to see the people God sees, to hear the voices God hears, to speak the words God speaks, to set ablaze this world with the love of Jesus the Christ. What needs to empty out? What do you need to exhale in order to be filled up? One more thing when thinking about the Holy Spirit. I love that the words respiration and inspiration are nearly synonyms for the Holy Spirit. Respiration and inspiration. Time and again, we, we read about the presence of the Spirit from the very first chapter of the Bible, Ruach. And Job tells us that, that God uh, breathed the heavens and the heavens are cleared. The psalmist says... By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all of their hosts. Do you know in John's gospel, the disciples were locked behind closed doors, and John's Pentecost is so much different from Luke's or Matthew or Mark's. Jesus came through those locked doors, and they had their own little Pentecost moment. Uh, Jesus said, do not be afraid, and then he did something strange. Do you remember what he did? Yeah, he breathed on them. After being in a tomb for three days, he breathed on them. Is that all it takes to launch a movement to create something new or for the kingdom of God, a little hot air? I hope not because I love you all and most of you have been vaccinated, but I don't know about breathing inspired hot air on one another just yet. Deal? Deal. <laughs> Our spiritual respiration leads to inspiration. And that's how lives are changed. I thought about some stories from my childhood. How many of you remember playing um, Red Rover and Duck, Duck, Goose? Remember playing those? Those games were a blast, unless you were someone who never was chosen or rarely chosen, you know. Maybe you were too fast and you could catch anyone who went around there. Maybe you came in like a bull in the china shop and you just kind of broke everybody's arm in you know, third grade. That's not very fun either. But on that that day, 
when somebody said, send Jay right over, it's a game changer, right? Because someone noticed you. And once your name was called, everyone else knew your name. They knew that maybe you were fast or maybe you could break through that line just a few, few yards away. When you're picked by someone, it changes you. The coming of the Holy Spirit as our spiritual respiration and as our inspiration is God's way of saying, I choose you. I choose you to be on my team to do more than you can even imagine. Sometimes people need more than just skills and talents. People need to be inspired, to be lifted up by a fresh breath of air, knowing that we, the church, possess the confidence to do what we were created to do. So I'm here to, today on this Pentecost Sunday, so proud to be your pastor, so proud of the spiritual respiration and inspiration that has happened for the past 50 days, seven weeks, as evidence of God's convincing proofs and the signs of resurrection, you've taken on the great 50-day challenge. And these results are kind of a respiratory checkup. They're almost a mid-year state of the church report. It's a diagnosis of our health. And I tell you, we're in good shape, friends. In the past seven weeks, since April the 4th, which was Easter Sunday, in 50 days, we've taken in 54 new members. We've witnessed 10 baptisms and 30 professions of faith. We've sent 79 letters of appreciation to veterans of our armed forces. We've sent 51 letters to our homebound members. We've sent 96 letters to inmates to remind them that God loves them, and we do too. We've distributed 180 cups of coffee to Huntington and Alabama State students. I think that's enough to get them through finals. I'm pretty sure it is. I was thinking through and praying through all of our volunteers this past week. We had our nominations charge conference on Wednesday where we elected and voted on the administrative side of the house, SBR, trustees, finance, administrative board, and then all on the age level and, and program side of things. And, and that's right at 500 volunteers who have said, I'll serve, I'll serve this next year. I was thinking about James and Josh's singers and ringers. There's a hundred of them. There's a hundred volunteers for Vacation Bible School. There's a hundred volunteers in, in respite. If you look at, at all the people who have said yes to Jesus, I'll step up and I'll serve as a sign of the presence of God through the Holy Spirit in my life, where it's about 830 or 40 people. That's unbelievable. That's our average worship attendance before the pandemic. That means every single person is doing something. So I got to thinking about it, and, and if you add up all of the new members and all of the volunteers and all of the, the ways that we have made connection points in our community over the past 50 days, we've connected with 1,500 lives. Now, I know Luke said something about 3,000, we're about half that. He didn't have a pandemic to deal with. But who's competitive, right? 1,500 lives have been connected with by the power and the presence of Jesus Christ through the church. But I don't believe God intended for Pentecost to be one, one day. I believe it's time for another Pentecost. 
I also believe it's time for another Aldersgate Day. Tomorrow, May 24th, was kind of the spiritual birthday of the people called Methodists. On that date, in 1738, John Wesley was walking down a street called Aldersgate Street, and he wasn't reading the Book of Romans. He was reading a prologue or a commentary about the Book of Romans. I don't know how, but the Holy Spirit took that prologue by Martin Luther, and John Wesley said his heart was strangely, what? Warm, yeah. That in that moment... He felt the assurance of his faith that his sins had been forgiven, even his sins. It was a converting moment, and it launched an entire movement that changed the world. I think it only takes one life like Peter's, or maybe a few who will listen and who will exhale and who will offload long enough to be filled by the Holy Spirit. It only takes one strangely warmed heart reading a commentary from the 16th century to launch another movement. I believe God is doing that. I believe God is sending revival through the Alabama West Florida Conference under the leadership of our bishop, Bishop David Graves, and I just, I figure, why not start here? Why not start with us, 192 years old. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to breathe out and to empty out all that takes up room for the Spirit in our lives and the Spirit in our church and let God fill us back up. New wine cannot be poured into old wineskins or it will burst. I say, let it burst. Let it burst open with love and with joy and with peace, patience and kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness and self-control. Let people say about us, boy, they're doing some radical things over there at First United Methodist Church in, in Montgomery. Oh, they're just spinning their wheels, wasting their time. They must be drunk. Let us reply, we're not drunk. We're just inebriated with the Holy Spirit. Amen? God has not given up on the church. God will not give up on the church. God will never give up on you as long as we continue to exhale and to inhale the best is always yet to come. Thanks be to God. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.